Oftentimes, black people don't think they're racist. You are. You are prejudiced also. You are. Everything sometimes we put on somebody else, we are. And that's where the word of God comes into play. That it really points it out because you cannot in any way justify it. I don't care who you are. You cannot justify hating another person. But oftentimes we do it based on what was done to us or done over here or done this way. You cannot justify racism, discrimination, or prejudice. Nobody can. But it is a two-way street, and we need to realize that. Go to James chapter 4, and go to verse 17. Listen to what he says. Anyone then who knows, and the issue is here, do you know? Sometime growing up as a Christian, you have to be reprogrammed, retaught. You have to relearn things. And if you don't know it, and all you know is this, that's all you're going to do. How many of you watched the movie 42, the story, Jackie Robinson, 42? Remember the little boy in the stand? Dad must be bringing him to a baseball game for the first time. And boy, he's there, and Jackie Robinson's making his debate also, whatever, first time. And the crowd started yelling the N-word. And the little boy kind of looks around. He's kind of stunned. He don't know what to do. And then all of a sudden, he just starts repeating what he's hearing. That's part of racism. It's a repeat of what you have heard. Not really getting to know the other person. And we need to understand people act from what they know. And until they know something different, that's all they know. So he tells us in the scripture, anyone then who knows, who knows the good? What do you have to know? The good. You have to know how to treat another person with respect, another person with kindness. You have to know how to do that. You have to be brought up in such a way that you perform it and you're doing it as part of your everyday life. You're engaging people with respect and kindness and showing that you really care about them as a human being. And he says, again, anyone who knows the good, he ought to do. He what? He ought to do. That means he might be doing something that what? He doesn't know he shouldn't be doing. That he ought to do and does it is what? It's sin. It's sin. Now we can say that's sin out of what? Ignorance, but it's still what? Sin. Now, 
go over to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light and hates his brother is still where? In darkness. Brother could be anybody. But if you hate them, and you're saying you're a Christian and you're in the light, the, real, the reality is you're still in what? Darkness also. It was Gandhi who says, whenever there's death, there's always the persistence of life. And whenever there's darkness, there's the persistence of light trying to shine through. And God is always trying to shine through us. No matter how dark it may be, the light of God is penetrating and is shining through us. And eventually it breaks through. And he simply says, boy, if you say this, if anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. And whoever loves his brother lives where? In the light. And there is and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Or his ignorance has blinded him. His unknowingness has blinded him. Now, discrimination, structural racism, thematic racism, prejudices, in a Christian life, has to find the door marked exit and leave if you're really going to live the Christian life or the Christ-like life. Those things in our lives, in anybody's life, who is claiming they are a Christian, those things have to exit. And understand this, they may have been taught by mom or dad. They may have been taught at the kitchen table, the dining room. They may have been taught while you were walking and taking a walk down the street. When I was coming up, we were taught whenever we saw white people coming up the street, we walk off to the side. We were taught that for protection reasons. We were taught to say yes, sir, whether we wanted to say yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, even though it's a form of kindness, we were taught just to say it for protection reasons. Now, things that we were taught sometimes has to fade away. Now, if you're a Christian, that thing of hatred, that thing of disliking somebody, that thing of getting even with somebody, all has to go under the blood of Christ. has to go under that blood of Christ. 
President Lyndon Johnson said this, and he said it correctly. There is no Negro problem. There is no Southern problem. There is no Northern problem. There is only an American problem. And America has to deal with its racism. Not one group of people, one class of people, one ethnic group of people, but everyone who calls himself an American has to deal with it. Now, let's take it one more step. The real problem is sin. But it's called racism. That has the ability to walk down both sides of the street. Not one-sided. Hatred is something that can develop in two different individuals. And they can't tell you really why they hate one another. All that they know is that they hate that person basically because they've been taught that. Now, in August 1963, a lot of you remember the speech that Dr. King gave. I have a dream. How many of you know he did not write that speech? He didn't write it. He did not go to Washington, D.C. with that speech written to share on that day. His speech he had written was still in his briefcase. And he was speaking and yet beginning to lose the ability to communicate to the crowd and somebody jerked on his coat. Remember who that person was? Mahaley Jackson. And he turned around just for a moment and glanced at her and she said, tell them your dream." And from there, he just went off into, I have a dream. It was never written before he spoke it. But it had been written a number of times afterwards that I have a dream. But what we miss sometime about that is this. He is not just speaking to a certain group of people. He is speaking to a nation. He is speaking to a nation that the nation itself would dream the dream of living out the creeds that it has written down for itself. So he's speaking to a nation, not to just one group of people. And he wants that nation to rise up. Not just one group of people to rise up, but the whole nation to rise up. Now, Jesus is calling, in a sense, for the same thing. He's calling for it within his church. That the Christian would rise up and live out the true meaning of being Christ-like. That's what Jesus is calling out for his own people. That we rise up and live out 
the Word of God. And we see one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, King says this, there's little hope for us until we become tough-minded enough to break loose from the shackles of the prejudices, the half-truths, the downright ignorance of others. We have to be willing to break loose from those things. What is one of the things that, boy, that we have to do as a people, as black Americans, we have to be willing to make contact. Not this kind of contact. This kind of contact. This here. We have to be willing to make contact. Listen to what it says here. Like life, Racial understanding is not something that we will find, but something that we create. We create it by sitting down at the table. We create it by taking a walk together. We create it by having coffee together. We create it. But what are we doing? We're learning of each other. We're sharing life with each other. that we will find but something we have to create. The ability of black and whites to work together, to understand each other, will not be found ready-made. It must be created by the fact of contact. Now, I want to use scripture to show this, that it has to be done by contact. I hope you're going to see it between a Peter and a Cornelius. And only God knew, in a sense, of what he was bringing about. Only thing Cornelius knew, in a sense, I got to talk to this guy named Peter. Only thing that Peter really understood in one sense, I got to go to this house where this man lives named Cornelius. But God has something far greater that he's going to make an impact on both men's life. So when we pick up in that verse 24, it says, The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and chosen friends. Now, now, just think about that for a moment. Here's Peter, a Hebrew, a Jew. Now, let's put this either in a black or white context. I'm going over to so-and-so house as a black man. And I did that one time. 
There was a young man when we were working with shelter care. He told his mom and his mom's boyfriend, because they wanted to get married. They'd been living together for some time. And he told them, I know somebody that'll marry you. And their question to him was, who? Pastor Brown. Well, he had been in our homes for respite quite a few times. And they're living out in the falls. And they rented this club out there for their wedding. And I walked in there. There's not another black face out of about 200 people but me. Now, for the wedding, we had beer on the tables. We had whiskey on the tables. We got so much smoke going, we, we can barely see one another. And I'm saying to myself, Lord, what kind of mess are you put me in? <laughs> and we got to the point of introducing ourselves because he ran over to me and he hugged me and took me over to meet his mom and his future stepdad and whatever. And we had our little time of talking and went on with the ceremony. And boy, any other time I would have been saying, would you please take hats off? Would you please put cigarettes down? Would you please put the beer bottle <laughs> somewhere else? But walked into something not really knowing what I was going into. But how do I share Christ in the midst of this? And that became the real element. That marriage is of God. And how it glorifies God. And then on through the vows and so forth. Here's Peter stepping into, now listen to what scripture said. He invited his friends and his relatives, and most likely they're all Gentiles. Most likely Peter didn't see another Jewish individual in the crowd. And there's Peter. That's one of the first things that God did with Peter. Put him someplace that was totally uncomfortable for him, and yet different for him. And, and look what else it says here now. But Peter made him, I'm sorry, as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his what? At his feet. Now, Cornelius is just seeing somebody as Peter very important. Somebody with some credentials. And in those days, to a Roman officer or somebody of high esteem, you would do this. But look what Peter says, because it's one of the first lessons now that God gives to Peter. Now remember, Peter's been up on the roof, and God had told Peter, don't call this stuff common, and that everything he made is good. Look here with Peter then. But Peter made him get up. Now listen to this, because this is only something God can reveal to a heart of a man. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. That's the first place. 
that we first recognize each other as two men. Created by who? By God. Forget about color. Forget about religion. Forget about everything else for a moment. But to recognize we're two men. What Peter is saying to Cornelius, I'm just like you. I'm a man. Stand up. Until one man can grab another man and say in a sense, stand up. You don't have to bow down to me. You don't have to give me this type of respect. You don't have to do this. Stand up. You are a man just like me. That's what Peter's doing with Cornelius. But God had to do that first in whose heart? Because how many of you would think of yourself very highly if people fell down before you or bowed down to you. And he says to Peter, stand up. Stand up. But then it goes a little further. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile. Or visit them. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Who did that? God did. Second lesson. God has to show us that we are the same. And then Peter says, God showed me I should not call any man unclean. And what is he going against now? Peter is going against years of teaching that he should not be in the house of Jewish individuals. Can you imagine the struggle mentally Peter went through with that? You're raised up with a certain type of teaching. It's a law. And now you find yourself breaking that which you once embraced. And only God can do that. Only God can break the shackles and set you free of past teaching that is against his word. But you have to be in his word that the Holy Spirit can bring it to your mind and your heart and set you free from that which is false. He goes on in this because he gets to that point. How did this all occur? So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objections. Look what Peter is saying. Boy, I, I could have said, I'm not allowed to. I'm not allowed to associate with you. I'm not allowed to eat with you. I'm not allowed to drink with you. I'm not allowed to be in your house. I'm not allowed to really hold a long conversation with you unless it's about business or something. And Peter's going against everything that he was taught. And he says, so when I was sent, well, I came without raising any objections. And he could have brought up all kind of objections. And then listen to what he says. May I ask why you sent for me? Now this is the amazing part. This is God at work now. 
what we're going to see. And this is what God does in the life of people. Listen to what he says. Cornelius answered, Four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon, and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He, a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now, we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Now, wait a minute. This don't make no sense. This is where Scripture and the Lord becomes fantastic, exciting to read and to discover. That person in the shining clothes, that angel, if you can tell me where to go find Peter, and you can tell me whose house he's at, and you can tell me to tell Peter to come, and you can tell me all these other things, you can't tell me the answers of what God wants me to know without Peter. See, God wanted Peter and Cornelius, what? Face to face together. So God simply says to Cornelius, you call Peter. Now God could have told Cornelius everything he wanted to say to him without Peter. But God's purpose is to bring these two together. And God's purpose sometime in life is to bring us together with others face to face and we're going to work something out we're going to perform something we're going to do something God is having us to understand each other live with each other communicate with each other to discover something about each other that we didn't know before and he's doing that with Cornelius here and with Peter and that whole process God is bringing them together because both of them are going to claim Christ as their Savior. You cannot claim Christ as your Savior and say, I hate Peter. Peter can't say, I'm saved and hate Cornelius, a Gentile. He brings them together. And he says, so I sent for you you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to do what? To listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then listen to what Peter says now. Peter don't start off with what God tells him to say in a sense. Okay, I'm just supposed to go there and uh, hey, uh, here's what the gospel is. You need to repent. You need to accept the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll save you from hell. He'll forgive you of your sins and take off. Listen to what Peter says here. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize. I now what? Realize. You know something? Something. 
it takes God to open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to realize certain things. It really does take God to do that. And Peter has said, now, I realize something. Even though I'm of the chosen people, even though I'm this and I'm that, and I wouldn't even walk through Samaria, I walked around Samaria. I now realize this. I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. That God is not prejudiced. God does not discriminate. God is not a racist in any sense. And he says, I now realize that God does not show favoritism. Listen, but accepts men from where? Every nation. Accepts men for every nation. So what is he really saying here? There are lost men and women everywhere, and God wants them saved. He doesn't care about the color. He doesn't care about the ethnic background. He doesn't care about this or that. Jews need to be saved. Blacks need to be saved. Whites need to be saved. Chinese need to be saved. Japanese need to be saved. Russians need to be saved. Ukrainians need to be saved. God doesn't show any favoritism. He wants us all to be what? Saved. But accept men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Boy, racism, we need to understand, is always a form of ignorance. Teach yourself to recognize ignorance. I don't care from who it comes from. Teach yourself to recognize ignorance. When I was a pastor in Friendship Baptist Church, and then this is down south in Georgia, and me and the board got into it a little bit, a gentleman who I'll never, 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 never forget, he took this young pastor off to the side, Mr. Neal, and he said, Gus, Never, never fight against ignorance. You'll always lose. You'll always lose when you fight against ignorance. He said, the only thing, Gus, you can do with ignorance is to educate it. Is to educate it is to educate. Remember, ignorance is simply a lack of what? Knowledge. And the thing is then to teach, to educate them, because all they know is what they know, and you can only act on what you know. And I never forgot that lesson from Mr. Neal. Gus, don't fight against ignorance. Because ignorance will only bring you down. 
Ignorance will only bring you down. Go to Proverbs 29. Proverbs 29. And you have to ask the question sometimes. If I'm arguing with a fool, which one's really the fool? Twenty-nine nine. An evil man is snared by his own what? His own sin. But a righteous man. Get get his eyes straight now. I'm sorry. Here we go. I'm reading six and then nine. If a wise man goes to court with a fool, the fool rages and scoffs, and there is no what? Does a fool ever worry about embarrassing himself? Does a fool care about if they're wrong? Does a fool care how other people see them? No. And the only thing you can do is make yourself look what? Foolish, just like him. Now go over to 18, 6 and 7. Allow the fool to destroy himself. Allow an ignorant person to destroy themselves. In 6 and 7 he says, a fool's lips will bring him what? Strife. Let him cause his own strife. Don't you get to fighting with him and trying to hurt him. He'll hurt himself. If you leave ignorance and a fool alone, they will hurt themselves. And he says, and his lips are a snare to his soul. He damages who? Himself. Verse 8. The words, I'm sorry, a fool's mouth is his undoing, and his lips are a snare to what? To his own soul. We're going to have to speed up just a little bit. Can't see the clock. That's a good excuse not to end on time. Yeah. Teach yourself to recognize racism, but also teach yourself to respond to it appropriately. Based on the circumstances you find yourself in. How many of you have ever seen the movie The Great Debate? Remember what happens one night while they're riding down the road? The father, his, his wife, and his son, and daughter. He's riding down the road. He's out in the country area. And he hits a hog and kills it. And two men come running out, yelling at him, swearing at him. And here he is, a pastor, a college professor. And here are these two guys in their bib coveralls. He knows that he's smarter than they are. 
But this ain't a time to show smartness. He's out in an area where he know he could be hung and nothing be said. And he takes out his paycheck and he signs it. He says, I'll pay for the hog. He reaches in his pocket and grabs the little money that he has and he gives that also. Hoping that this would satisfy it and pay the debt for the cost of the hog. But in the meantime, his son is sitting in the car and weeping by the action that his father is taking. When he wants his father to be strong and to fight, not understanding his father's job at that point was to protect his wife and his two children and get them back home, what? Safely. That's why the appropriate action has to be taken in the right circumstances. I'm still under the persuasion if certain action would have been taken differently, there's a lot of black young men that would not have been shot. That's not to say that the other side was right or this or that or the black side was wrong. But if a different action would have been taken in that circumstances, would the results have been the same? So we have to educate ourselves to know when we are fighting against ignorance, when we're fighting against racism, when we're fighting against something, and put it in that circumstances, look at that situation and say, do I walk away? How do I speak? What words do I use? What do I do? Because the most important thing is for me to go home to Elaine. The most important thing for Roger is to go home to Barb. The most important thing for us as men is to go home to our families. Not that we stood up to somebody or stood up to some law, but that we go home. You getting it? Okay. And he brings this out here. The appropriateness based on the circumstances that you find yourself in. And you need to understand this. Racism is socially learned behavior. Racism is socially learned behavior. Our society allows it. Our society promotes it. It's a learned behavior. And sometimes people don't know there's something different unless they are challenged by somebody. And God challenges a Peter and a Cornelius to see that they're just two men in love with Jesus. People can be re-educated. And we have to be re-educated. A person of wisdom and intellect fear ignorance because there's no shame in ignorance. There's no shame in racism. It doesn't see itself wrong. And in Proverbs 1-7, 
boy, if you don't fear God, and God, when you fear God, that's the beginning of wisdom and knowledge and understanding. But if you don't fear God, who are you going to fear? What are you going to fear? A, a foolish or ignorant person has no fear because they do not have true knowledge. True knowledge that comes from God. Or they would fear. They would fear. We would be fearful of hurting another person because that's God's child. We would be fearful of hurting another person because that's a creation of God. We would be fearful to hurt another person because Jesus shared his blood for them. We need to see it differently. So we re-educate. Now, the goal, and a lot of us have been brought up this way. You learn this also from the movie 42. The goal is not to be better than. And a lot of times, as black children, we hear it from our parents, you have to be better than. No, we don't have to be better than. We have to do our best, but we don't have to be better than. And if you're teaching that, that's the wrong teaching. You don't have to be better than. What you have to be able to do is to dismiss the expectations that you cannot perform and perform your very best. You don't have to be better than, but you do have to perform. You do have to do. In the Jackie Robinson story, remember when he takes the bat, he runs into the tunnel, and he's hitting the walls and everything, and the owner comes to him and says, Jackie, you have to prove that you can score. Go out there and hit as many home runs as possible. Jackie, you have to prove that you can run those bases. You can steal those bases. Go out there and steal as many bases as possible. When you live up to your God-given potential, you don't have to be better than but you will surpass the expectations sometimes that people put on you and say what you can't do, and they will be surprised when you do do. You're performing at a level that may not be expected of you. And you learn to do that. Not better than, but to erase the false aspect expectations of what you cannot do and show that you can do. You can write those verses down, Romans 12, 3, because let's just hit one or two of them. Almost ten after. Yeah, I got five minutes, so let's hit two of them. Romans 12, 3. Because we need to understand that it's okay to live and do my very best. 
For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than what you ought. You should never think of yourself better than this person or better than that person or better than somebody else. If you do, you are thinking of yourself in a higher area than what you ought. You don't do it. Turn over to Philippians. Chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. How many of you sometimes know that you may be better at something than someone else? And you're going to take the opportunity just to show off. You don't have to do it. Help the other person to become better in what they're doing also. Don't use them to build your little pride or your little ego. In other words, humble yourself and help them, educate them, help them do better. Don't stand back and laugh. Don't try to show off on them what you can do much better than they can. Take the opportunity to educate, to teach, to raise them up. And he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of who? Others. 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 Let's end with Romans 12, 17 and 18. Romans 12, 17 and 18. And remember, God wants you to do this. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. You don't win nothing by repaying somebody evil for evil, doing wrong to them. Remember what mamas used to say? Two wrongs won't make a what? Won't make a right. Somebody got to be right and stand. After you've done all else, just stand. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is what? Right. And sometimes we blame the situation on me not doing the right thing. If they wouldn't have acted this way, if they wouldn't have done this to me. No, you are responsible for right action all the time. What is right in the eyes of everybody. Because people are watching you. People are looking to see if you're really living out this Christian life. People are watching you. And that's what is so important about us doing what is right. No matter what the circumstances we do what is biblically right. Why? We are Christ's followers. Amen? Father, thank you.
for ministering to us. Help us, Lord, not to only be hearers of your word, but to put your word into action and be doers of it. Strengthen us to do so, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.
thank you and praise you for your word and that your word is for the purpose of educating us to live in a manner in which we can glorify our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and I pray Father that you would take us into our separate homes and we'll go back over the verses we will read them again and again we will look at the relationship between of Peter and of Cornelius and what God did and that Lord anywhere in our own personal life that we need to deal with something would you deal with us would you speak to us and whatever it is in our lives that need to exit help us Lord to show it that door where it walks out of our life and we allow Christ to truly be risen more and more and more in our life that we might show forth the reality of what a follower of Christ lives like in a hostile world. Minister to us, but enable us to perform your will and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. And in his name we pray. Amen. To worship at your throne To be called unto your presence at your own You are worthy, also Mark, you got the key? 